0: Well tonight I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room in the Middle East, nuclear nuclear Iran. They are very problematic, a rogue Islamic regime, state sponsors of terrorism, number one in the world. We're going to look at an ancient prophecy in Jeremiah 49 that has been vastly overlooked, uh, written around 596 by the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 49. I'm going to be teaching from my book and DVD of the same name, Nuclear Showdown in Iran, Revealing the Ancient Prophecy of Elam. I know some of you might have it. It came out a couple of years ago. But for those of you that don't, i brought a few extra ones out there. I want to make sure you get those. It's very, I think it's one of the prophecies we should be watching for at the present time. It's right on the top of my list of things that could find fulfillment now. Well, it was in July of 2015, consummated and uh, October 2015 so two years ago as we are in October 2017 that we had the what they call the p5 plus 1 international community uh, put together a a nuclear deal the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action with Iran the JCPOA and so what that enabled Iran to do was enrich uranium get 150 billion dollars provide missiles to Hezbollah get the s 300 missile defense system uh, have nuclear breakout within months, uh, enabled them to have contracts with Russia and China, two members of the P5 plus one, to build more nuclear reactors in Iran. Thank you very much, Craig. So you see that list up there? That's what we enabled them to do. They, they got these $150 billion, and uh, so they, they really won out on that deal, of course. Now at the time, Barack Obama was the president, and he said, "With this deal, (laughs) with this deal, we cut off every one of every single one of Iran's pathways to a nuclear weapons program, and Iran's nuclear program will be under severe limits for many years." Now, as we look back at Obama's foreign policy on Iran, it becomes very reminiscent of another individual named Jimmy Carter, who, if you recall, when he became president in November, between November of Seventy nine and January of eighty one, there was fifty-two hostages held captive in Iran during the Islamic Revolution. They were held captive for four hundred and forty-four days, and so now that we look back on his legacy, I think we're starting to see something like this. And I know some of you think that's Tiger Woods, but that's not. But at the same time, the day after Obama said this will stop the pathway to get a nuclear weapon, here's what Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said, Iran is going to get $100 billion to $300 billion, which it will be able to use to fund its terrorism and its aggression in the region. Its aim to being to destroy Israel. I'd say that's, this is the double bonanza of a guaranteed pathway to a nuclear arsenal and a jackpot of money to continue its de- aggression that it actually makes the danger of war, even nuclear war, a lot greater. So who do you think? Obama was right or Netanyahu was right? Okay. I would agree with Netanyahu. It's very scary. Now, recently, Donald Trump, uh, he, he decertified this Iran nuclear deal. He has the ability every 90 days to either certify or recertify or decertify. And there's a nuclear act passed by Congress that's called the Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act, where it says after 90 days, if he decides to recertify or decertify, if he decertifies it, doesn't want, doesn't like it, Congress has 60 days to do something about it, implement sanctions, and that's the mode we're in right now because this just happened on October 13, 2017. Many of you may have seen his speech, it's on YouTube. It says, I'm announcing today that we cannot and will not make this certification. Given the regime's murderous past and present, we should not take this lightly. It's sinister nuclear vision for the future. The regime's two favorite chants are death to America and death to Israel. You've got to take this serious, folks, especially the Jews coming out of the Holocaust. They do look at this very, very seriously. Um, I'm going to ask you to play a video, if you can dim the lights. Video. By far the most important thing today. Not only today, but in a historical perspective, the most important
1: thing is to make sure that a militant regime, a militant Islamic regime, or a militant Islamic movement does not get its hands
0: on the weapons of mass destruction.
1: Missiles cloud mid-east skies over the Persian Gulf. Iran shuts down the Strait of Hormuz. Arab oil is choked off to world markets. Hezbollah and Hamas launch scores of missiles into Israel. Terror cells initiate cycles of violence in America. About 2,600 years ago, the Hebrew prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel issued parallel End Times prophecies concerning modern-day Iran. Today, the rogue country is becoming a nuclear nation and aggressively advancing its hegemony throughout the greater Middle East. Nuclear Showdown in Iran, revealing the ancient prophecy of Alam, is a non-fiction thriller taking the reader on a journey of discovery through the eyes of the prophets and the minds of today's key national players. But there's a backstory. An even bigger story, it's a spiritual showdown in Iran between Islam and Christianity.
2: Iran is being transformed into a Christian nation in this generation. Iran has the fastest growing evangelical population in the world. Iranians are experiencing miracles, healings, visions and dreams. And with the help of satellite television, millions of them are coming to Christ. Two years ago, Iranian government began cracking down on Christianity. But it's not working. Christianity is growing in Iran. Iran is in the Bible prophecy, and many Iranian Christians are excited about what the Bible says about the
0: future of Iran.
2: Please pray for your brothers and sisters in Iran.
0: Part of the talk tonight is gonna be dealing not only with the nuclear showdown that we're concerned about in Jeremiah 49, but also there's a spiritual showdown taking place between Islam and Christianity. Uh, What I was going to show you is a video showing both going on. It concerns nuclear, but also what's going on in Iran. Iran's the fastest growing evangelical Christian population in the world at this point in time uh, because of supernatural dreams and visions and things like that that are taking place. So, you know, this is very exciting, but it's also evidence that we're deep into the last days. You know, so anyway, there's a picture of me on a set with Hormoz Sharia with our Iran Alive Ministries. Uh, he reaches in through Satellite TV. Now, pastors Tom and Craig, of course, know him as well. Actually, I think they're going to go see her most soon. Great ministry to support. Uh, satellite TV, he reaches in to Iran and preaches the gospel of Christ, and he answers calls and things like that. He gets amazing stories, miracles, the dreams and healings they get. And so I've had the opportunity to be on his show. I speak in English, these prophecies. Uh, the one I'm speaking about tonight, I was taught there. And they, he translated it. Parsi. So Iran, what is its future? Well Iran has double trouble in the latter years. Not all of Iran is in Ezekiel 38. Now of course we know many of you may know that Ezekiel 38 prophecy, Gog of Magog invasion, a very powerful Middle East event. Uh, it talks about Iran because it's listed as Persian in Ezekiel 38. We'll see that in just a moment. But there's also, when you look at a modern day map of Iran, you have Elam. You see that that red-orange arrow there, pointing toward the western side by the Persian Gulf, that is also part of Iran. Now, Ezekiel wrote about Persia, but Jeremiah wrote about Iran. So we see that Persia is definitely in the end times in Ezekiel 38, verse 5, dealing with the war, the invasion, that Russia will lead Turkey, and there's nine populations together, Persia. says Ezekiel 38:5, Ethiopia and Libya are with them, all of them, with Russia and Turkey. With shield and helmets. So we see they're in a war capacity with their shields and helmets coming to invade Israel. You see the arrows pointing to by the, na- the countries involved in that invasion. And of course, Iran, as Persia, is among them. They're pointing toward the invasion going into Israel. So we see Iran's involved in this. Uh, you've got Russia, Libya, e- we think Ethiopia, Sudan, Somalia. Algeria, Morocco, Tunisia, these are all mostly Muslim countries except Russia. That's in Ezekiel 38. I just wanted to show you that to compare the prophecy we'll be talking about tonight. We won't spend a lot of time on Ezekiel 38. So again, here's another map of the layout to give you a, uh, a visual of what we're talking about. The two prophets wrote about Iran in the end times. So when we wonder, well, what's going to happen with Iran? We have a biblical narrative, a prophetic perspective to look at, not just the secular worldview that you get on the news. You know, and the, both of these prophecies talk about Iran in the latter days, in the latter years. And so we see that Elam is Persia. Ezekiel wrote about that. But look at over there in that shaded area in the orange. Uh, excuse me, Elam, Iran is Persia in the green. But the shaded orange with the arrow is pointing toward Elam, that other sliver. So about four-fifths of Iran is Persia and one-fifth is e, ancient Elam. But now we just call it Iran today. Now notice I've got an arrow pointing to a nuclear reactor there. That's called the Bashar Nuclear Reactor. That's the crown jewel of Iran's nuclear program. It was started to be built by uh, the Germans in the 70s, but after the Islamic Revolution they got out. Iran tried to complete it, but they couldn't finish it, so they called upon Russia in the 90s to complete it. and it's, it's loaded with nu- Russian nuclear fuel rods at this point. It's a very strategic target to be struck in the very region of the prophecy we're going to be talking about. It is a nuclear disaster waiting to happen. It is built where three tectonic plates converge. So it could be an earthquake. Uh, I think the prophecy points more towards a military invasion. But, you know, this, is, this could be the very – plus they're going to build a couple more. Russia's going to build a couple more nuclear reactors in here now in this area because of this joint comprehensive plan of action deal. So it's going to be very difficult for Donald Trump to back out of this deal because there's other international countries involved. Russia and China, specifically, are, have big contracts now with Iran since this deal has been put into motion. So this is the area we're going to be looking at in this prophecy, the subject of this prophecy. Um, I was on when, when I was writing the Nuclear Showdown book, just to share a quick story with you. I was on, I went on to. Uh, TBN Praise the Lord's TV show. And uh, I was on there and I, they, they got me late from the hotel, they were putting my makeup on, on the set. There's a live audience, are getting ready to go worldwide. And they had me sit next to this gentleman you see on the left with an iPad in his lap. And his name is Reza Safa. Now he is with Najat TV. They also are TBN's version of satellite TV going into Iran, doing the same thing that Hormon Sh- Shariat is. And so I was working on my book. It wasn't completed yet. It wasn't published. And while they're getting us ready to go on, raises this office says, Bill, are you familiar with this prophecy? And he, he holds up his iPad to the very prophecy I'm going to be teaching you tonight. And he goes, the many Iranians are so excited about this prophecy because it talks about them being able to leave the country and God's going to restore them and bring them back. And I said, "Well, Reza, I'm very familiar with this prophecy. I'm actually writing about it right now. But this is a terrible exit strategy. You're going to see that, you know, this is not necessarily a good news story here. So, uh, and then immediately we were on TV, and that was the last we could talk about that together. So, we're gonna. If you want to turn your Bibles, you don't have to because the, the slides will be up on the display up here. But we're in Jeremiah 49, verses 34 through 39, with the first three verses." I'm going to read all these verses to you because there's only six of them. Then I'm going to go through and unpack them for you. Uh, Jeremiah 49, verses 34 through 36. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet against Elam in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow of Elam, the foremost of their might. Against Elam I will bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven and scatter them towards all those winds. There shall be no nations where the outcasts of Elam will not go. We continue on. For I will cause Elam to be dismayed before their enemies, plural, and before those who seek their life. I will bring disaster upon them. My fierce anger, says the Lord. I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. I will set my throne in Elam, and I will destroy from there the kings and the princes, says the Lord. But it shall come to pass, in the latter days, catch that, in the latter days, I will bring back the captives of Elam, says the Lord. Some translations say I will restore the fortunes of Elam. Okay, now let's look at what's going on here. Many times in those six verses, the Lord says he will be doing something. So at first he says he's going to bring a disaster upon them, but why? Because he is fiercely angry. He's fiercely angry with something in Iran well, who's, what's he angry about? Well, he's angry with the leadership. They've got poor leadership because he says he's going to destroy from there the other kings and the princes. You do not destroy good leadership. I'll show you a slide in a minute about King Cyrus. He was a good king of, of Persia. So why is he angry, fiercely angry, to the point that he would bring a disaster in that specific area we looked at? Well, it's because they want to launch something lethal somewhere. And the Lord has to prevent that. He's got to break their bow so that they can't launch something lethal, but at the foremost of their might. Okay, so as we look at this, we're going to say, what what could we be talking about? Are we talking about their nuclear program and their ability to launch missiles, ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles with nuclear warheads? Uh, I believe so. So we'll look at that on a couple slides in a minute. Now, whatever this disaster is that the Lord causes, it appears to bring forward a humanitarian crisis. Now, remember, this is where that nuclear reactor is, and some more are being built there. Because it says in the aftermath, he will bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven and he will scatter them toward all those those winds. And it says there will be no nations, plural, where the outcasts of Elam don't go. So it's a worldwide dispersion in the result of whatever this disaster is that is brought forward by the Lord. So he's going to scatter them toward all those winds. And he's going to cause Elam to be dismayed before their enemies, before those who seek their life, meaning at the time this happens, Iran, in this case, uh, would have to have enemies, more than just one. It's enemies, plural. We'll look at that. Then he's going to send the sword after them until he has consumed them. Now, that is typically referring to a military invasion when you look conceptually in the Bible. And then he says, so... Those are covering verses 49, verses 34 through 37. Now, here's why Reza Safa got a little excited, because the next two verses are a little better news for Iran. He says, I will set my throne in Elam. Now, that's an interesting concept there. We know that God's going to set his throne in Jerusalem, in the Messianic kingdom, in Jeremiah chapter 3, I think it is. And we know that the heaven is the Lord's throne presently in Isaiah. The earth is his footstool. But it's the same word he's going to set his throne in Elam. What's that all about? We'll look at that briefly. And then in the latter days, he will bring back the captives, those ones that are dispersed worldwide as a result of this disaster. They will be brought back in the land. So they will have a remnant of Iranians. Now, he's, I, I believe at this present time we should be watching this prophecy because the leadership of Iran, in my estimation, has got the Lord fiercely angry. This is, you know, King Cyrus. You know, back in Isaiah uh, chapter 44, verses 28, uh, who was between 600 BC and 529 BC. He con- conquered the Babylonians in 539 BC. God anointed King Cyrus. Isaiah actually told him oh, almost 200 years before he was became the king of Persia. He called him by name. That he says in Isaiah 44:28, who says of Cyrus, "He is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure." saying, to Jerusalem you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. He goes on to say, Thus says the Lord in Isaiah 45, the following verses, To Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations, and before him to loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors, so that the gates will not be shut. Obviously, he's not upset with the leadership at the time of Cyrus. Cyrus was an anointed to send the Jews back to Israel after 70 years of captivity, which he did, we find out in Ezra 1. He immediately, when he heard this prophecy, sent the Jews back to build their temple in Jerusalem and to build, rebuild the cities of Judah, where they had lived 70 years prior. In fact, Cyrus, which that just got deleted, but you, you see former President um, Ahmadinejad is looking at what's called Cyrus's Cylinder. And it was written between 559 and 530 B.C. It's currently in the British Museum, and it's a cuneiform script that is considered to be the first declaration of human rights to the nations. So this guy was a good guy. He would take people from Babylon, he'd take a, a Israelis and different people from Persia to help build his cosmopolitan empire. He, he was a really wonderful king and if we had a Cyrus in the presidential, in the, instead of the Ayatollah right now, I wouldn't be talking about this prophecy. So he said he was gonna break the bow of Elam at the foremost of its might. It's interesting that when we look at the history of Elam, we find out that they were warmongers in Genesis 14. This is a time when there were five kings fought against four kings, and that was when Lot, Abraham's nephew, got kidnapped. Lot went and rescued him with his 318 services, servants. And we find out that you know, they, they were warmongering people. King Chedorlaomer was one of the kings at that time. And then we find out in Isaiah 22 that they actually, through the years, became expert archers. So when he talks about breaking the bow, recognize there's, there's an understanding historically of how significant that is. These were expert archers, the Elamites. So he's going to break the bow at the foremost of their might. Well, if you break a bow, if an archer has no bow, he could have quivers, I mean arrows in his quiver, that could have poison on them. They could be lethal, but they're not going to go anywhere unless he casts them by his hand because the bow's been broken at the foremost of his might. Could this be talking about their intercontinental ballistic missiles that they're developing rapidly at at very advanced stages? Could it be dealing with their nuclear program at the foremost of their might? If it were to happen today, the foremost of Iran's might is their nuclear program that they're trying to develop. Well, this is interesting. This is a concern of Benjamin Netanyahu. This goes back to February of 2014 when the German Chancellor Angela Merkel came over. Is there a relationship here to breaking the bow of Elam? Here's what he said when she came over dealing with Iran and their intercontinental ballistic missiles program. He said the goal is to prevent Iran from having the capability to manufacture and deliver nuclear weapons. I believe that means zero enrichment, zero centrifuges, zero plutonium, and, of course, an end to the intercontinental ballistic missile development. Because none of these elements, none of them, is necessary for developing civilian nuclear energy, which is what Iran has claimed that it wants. Dual concerns of Benjamin Netanyahu. Not only their nuclear program, but their ability to put a, a nuclear bomb into an uh, ICBM. that not only He's warned it could not only take out Israel, but could hit Europe, and ultimately down the road he's concerned about America. So then he goes on to say, remember, they will bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven after the bow is broken. Okay, could we be having a nuclear disaster that, and you've got contamination now? And it says these these refugees have to scatter throughout to the nations of the world. There'll be no nations where they don't go. Is that what he's trying to alert us to? Perhaps. It's different than the Syrian refugee crisis. You know, it, yes they are now reaching out into the nations of the world because the Syrian refugee crisis has been so bad but initially they were just getting out of the area out of Syria and you can see there there's been 13 and a half million of them affected six and a half million displaced now they're in those bordering nations predominantly see Turkey's got about 2.9 million Syrian refugees Um, you got some in Lebanon some in Egypt etc you see the numbers up there but I believe we could be looking at something different when it says he will scatter them worldwide there'll be no nations where they don't go there they're leaving the area rapidly, more than likely. It's interesting in those Syrian refugee camps presently, um, they're also experiencing conversions to Christianity. They're very disenchanted and disenfranchised by Islam, dreams and visions. Here's Mafida. She is a widow. She's lost her husband and her family, and she's with other widows who have lost probably their husbands and families, and they've seen their children be maimed or taken away. And I mean, it's really gruesome and bad over there and so she's got what's called the widow sisterhood in these refugee camps and she meets with these women and she starts praying to them and reading the Bible to them and she's you see that she starts to ask them after they hear about Jesus Christ if they want to accept him and take an altar call and you can see that many of them are doing that because they realize, look at how happy they are now, they realize that Jesus is the way The word became flesh and dwelled among them, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So that is what's going on over in some of those Syrian refugee camps. It's very encouraging. Remember, the Lord is supernaturally evangelizing in these repressive areas with dreams and visions and healings, places where missionaries can't even get into or scarcely want to go to. So it says that Iran will be dismayed before its enemies. So we have to now look and see, does Iran presently have a menu of enemies, plural? Okay. Well, of course, Israel is very concerned about Iran's nuclear program, we just talked about Benjamin Netanyahu's quote with Angela Merkel, and you remember in September of 2012, you may have seen this at the United Nations. He held up that little third-grade chart about Iran's nuclear program. They're already 90 percent there, folks, is what he was trying to warn against. That was before this nuclear deal was put together. He's extremely concerned right now because Iran is in the right next door to him in Syria with Russia and Hezbollah. And Hezbollah has gotten about 150,000 missiles pointed at Israel. And Iran is getting has gotten $150 billion, or about to get all of it, they have gotten a lot of it, if they haven't gotten it all by now. And look what they're doing with it. They're developing an advanced intercontinental ballistic missile system. So I would say, check Israel as a potential enemy of Iran. Do we have more? Well, what about the international community? I mean, why did they even negotiate with Iran, the P5 plus one? They're concerned about a couple things. One is the states, the number one state sponsor of terrorism. Here's a report that came out in Jerusalem Post in May of 2014. The State Department focuses on Iran's expansive efforts to fund and funnel arms to Islamist organizations like Hamas and Hezbollah. That's what they're doing. The international community is very concerned about that. They're also concerned about still about a third of the world's oil comes through the Persian Gulf. And Iran is threatened if their nuclear program is struck or at attacked. They will shut down the Persian Gulf. That would affect world markets. So the international community is also very concerned about that. So I would say we've got enemy number two. The international community is very concerned. Donald Trump might do something about that. And then you've got the Gulf Cooperative Council. I apologize for that slide. That stands for the Arab states that are on the other side of the Persian Gulf, the GCC, they're called. And they're very concerned. They're another enemy in my estimation of Iran. They're predominantly Sunnis, Iran is Shiites. And Iran now has all this money, and they're trying to advance their power, they call it their hegemony, into the Middle East. They already have control of Lebanon with Beirut, with Hezbollah. They've already got control of Yemen with the uh, Houthis. They've got control of most of Iraq now, over there as well. Now they're into Syria. And so they're very concerned about. Matter of fact, Donald Trump is trying to utilize the concerns that Saudi Arabia and Egypt have, and the Sunni nations, Jordan, uh, mutual enemy they've now got with Israel, which is Iran. He's trying to use that. The old saying in the Middle East is, "The enemy of my enemy is my friend." Now, listen: if you're a Jew, you will never be able to go into Mecca, you know, or a Christian even too. They won't let you in there. But if you'll go ahead and attack Iran. Saudi Arabia might let you use part of their airspace or something like that. So Donald Trump is wise in that area. Now, remember I told you it's built where three tectonic plates are? Well, in April of 2013, there was a 6.8 earthquake. This was after those Russian fuel rods were loaded in there. And the Russians came over and checked it out because they were concerned that it could be a nuclear fallout. Well, not only were they concerned, It was followed up by another earthquake shortly thereafter down by Afghanistan and Persia. The Gulf Cooperative Council of States, I just showed you those Arab states, were so concerned because two-thirds of the world's water supplies, uh, they're called desalinization plants. They need those over two-thirds of the world's desalinization plants are over in those Gulf Cooperative Council states. They have got to rely on the Persian Gulf for their drinking water. They're rich in oil, but they are poor when it comes to drink potable water. So they did a study, and this is a report they came up with, reported uh, shortly after those earthquakes. The risk of radiation from Iran's Bouchard nuclear power plant, remember that's the one in Elam we're talking about. If there is an accident, it's extremely high to the GCC states, those Arab states. Studies suggest that any leak from the plant will affect the GCC's water supplies, especially the desalinization plant operations. In the event of a radiation leak, Of radioactive material will drift to the GC states in just 15 hours. While the radiation would affect only about 10% of the Iranian population in the GC states, they're concerned 40 to 100% of the population would be affected. 100% in 15 hours. Now, I'll show you why they'd say just 10% with Iran. That's an interesting. How would you say that? It's in Iran. How could you say only 10% of them, but maybe 40 to 100% of you would be affected? I'll show you why in just a minute it turns out that there's this mountain range called the Zagros Mountains right there that separates, always has geographically, Elam from Persia. So what will happen, they're they're suggesting, is that the radiation will go up against those mountains and then start to come back across the gulf at them. And so they're so concerned about it. Those are about the size of our Sierra Nevadas, if you want to put a a range on them. Um, So they're so concerned about that, they decided to build this pipeline, not for uh, oil, but so they could get water to circumvent the need of the Persian Gulf, about 1242 miles, $10.5 billion cost, They hope to have it by 2020. Now, I don't know the progress of that at this point, but that was what the study came out with uh, when they came out uh, right after that earthquake. So we talked about the fact that there's enemies. We just talked about Israel, the international community, the Arabs across the Gulf. I think that we can check that off that exists presently. The leadership is bad, the enemies exist. But he says there'll be a disaster in Elam because he's fiercely angry. So we've got to ask ourselves, is the Lord fiercely angry with Iran right now? That all these ingredients have to meet, or the prophecy can't find fulfillment. He says he's so angry he'll create a disaster in the area where that Bashar nuclear reactor is. Well, since the Dodgers are in the World Series, we'll use the analogy of the three strikes are out. Okay, the first concern you've got right here is Iran wants to wipe Israel off the map. Remember President Ahmadinejad, former President Ahmadinejad had said that in 2005. Generals of Iran have been saying that as well. The Ayatollah has said that as well. The Ayatollah has come out with many, uh, we, could, we could destroy Israel. He put, put together, I think it was a nine-point plan, he tweeted how we could destroy Israel, the, the techniques of how to, the plan to destroy Israel. There's no doubt that Israel is concerned that Iran wants to wipe them off the map. So that is a problem. The reason that's a problem, and it's really a problem for Iran, it's not going to be a problem for Israel, is because God is going to make his holy name known through his people Israel in the Ezekiel 38 battle. So you've got a tug of war going here. If Iran wipes Israel off the map, God cannot fulfill a prophecy I'm about to show you. This is a really big event, Ezekiel 39.7. Now, again, I'm not going to talk a lot about Ezekiel 38, but that's a massive invasion. comes down into Israel that is stopped by the Lord, not by the American troops or the Israeli Defense Forces. There's an earthquake. There's fire, hailstone, and brimstone. It's a supernatural intervention. The Lord stops it. And he says in the aftermath, So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Then the nation shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. It requires two things. These two things are very uh, integral to the covenant God made with Abraham about 4,000 years ago. One, it requires the Jewish people. You know, remember the chosen people? He told Abraham he'd have descendants forever. He told him he would have a land for those descendants forever, the promised land. So he's saying he will, my people of Israel will survive. They will be in the land, and they are right now in the latter days. And he will have them back in the land, and he's going to prove when he stops us, he's the Holy One in Israel, the land and the people. Now, Iran is going to try to prevent that from happening, not knowing that that's going to be a problem. Who's going to stop God from fulfilling this prophecy? Iran's going to go down, in my estimation. God is fiercely angry because they are not on board with the program of God, which is to you know, let people know he's God. That's why he's got the Jews back in the land. He keeps his promises to Abraham, and he keeps his promises through Jesus Christ to us who believe in him. Let's look at strike two. Civil and and moral decay and, and uh, aggression over there on the people over there. Um, the mullahs are coming down hard on the people in general over there. You know, most of the people in Iran are in their 30s, maybe 35. They, they were born before, I mean, after the revolution even took place. They're not, they're, they're actually, many of them are pro-Western. They're not happy about what's going on over there. Uh, This happened a few years ago. Many of you, uh, Pharrell Williams has a song called Happy. Okay. Well, it was the cutest thing. This group of, there was like six of them, I think it was, Iranians took their iPhones and made a video dressed in Western garb and did this video, and it went viral in Iran on YouTube. And they got caught, and they got thrown in jail, and they had to apologize. I think some of them got lashes and stuff like that, because you cannot do that. In Iran, they're so strict on their people. So that's strike two. They're they're you know terrible rulers over their people. They're very repressive. That, that shows them on CNN getting caught. Strike three. Their Christian persecution. God is bringing people to into the kingdom through dreams, visions, miracles, and healings. And Iran is coming down hard on that right now. Here's an example that is very poignant. Called uh, these two gals. Well, they wrote a book called Captive in Iran. Um, one's Marianne Rostampour, and the other one is uh, Miss Amarizadot. Um I don't pronounce her names very well. But uh, anyway, they, they, here's, they represent what happens when you come to know the Lord in Iran. They came to know the Lord through a home church. And then it's hard. About that time, uh, the ayatollahs clamped down. They said they're going to close all home churches. This was a few years ago. They're going to imprison all pastors and persecute all Christians. And now they're actually imprisoning Christians as well. And you get thrown in jail over there, and they will beat you to a pulp and not give you medical treatment. And they will hope you just die. Okay, That is what's going on presently in Iran. Now these gals do what many people do. They go to Turkey, because you can go there without a visa for three months. They met each other in Turkey. And they weren't able to leave Turkey because most of the people in Iran don't have enough financial wherewithal to wait the distance, get the visas and leave and go out into the nations of the world. The financial people do, they, I mean the wealthy people, they do try to go out elsewhere. So they did what most of these Christians do, they leave Turkey and go back into Iran. And they risked their lives. And what they did was they took 20,000 Bibles, took them throughout the streets of Tehran, dropped them off in restaurants, bus stops, wherever they could, and they got caught and they got sentenced to death in Evan prison, which is the notoriously worst prison in Iran at all. And uh, so they were supposed to die. Well, they were in there for 256 days. I think that was the time they were in there. And they turned it into a church. (laughs) They were praying for people, worshiping. A lot of the prisoners were coming to know the Lord and they kept getting hassled by the authorities there. And because of the public outcry and stuff, they actually got out. And they wrote this book called Captive in Iran. Great book. I've read it. I've emailed and spoken with these gals. I would encourage you to get it. But this is what they do over there, folks. I mean, I, a good friend of mine is a pastor of about 3,000 pastors over there at underground church. His name's Mansoor. He tells me these stories. These people are willing to – they know the cost of Christ, the cost you've got to pay for Christ. And so and they're, they're there, and they're stuck. And they're very concerned about this prophecy, many of them because they realize there's been a disaster in this area. So I wanna talk about, we talked about the four bad verses in Iran, the nuclear showdown concerns. Let's talk about the spiritual showdown in Iran that's taking place right now. We briefly touched upon it. And uh, you know, it's an amazing situation. Like I said, it's the most fastest growing evangelical population in the world. So the verses that are encouraging to them in Iran are those last two verses, Ezekiel 30, uh, Jeremiah 49 verses 38 and 39. It says, I will set my throne in Elam. I will destroy from the other kings and the princes, and in the latter days bring back the captives of Elam. Now, again, I said that in Isaiah 66, heaven is the Lord's throne, the earth is his footstool. Uh, We know that in Jerusalem, it'll be Jeremiah 3 verse 17. At the time, uh, in the Messianic kingdom, Jerusalem will be called the throne of the so what is he talking about here? And, and this has got many Iranians excited that God's gonna put his throne there. Now it can mean a seat of authority, like Persia was anointed in a seat of authority in that area. But it can also mean he's gonna set a literal throne there in the messianic kingdom when he brings back the captives of Iran that are out in the nations of the world that have been dispersed where all the outcasts of Elam will go. Now, but let's be clear on this: If you're a believer in Iran right now, because this this re- restoration he's talking about, where he brings back the captives of Elam, that happens at the end of the tribulation period. You know, when there's an, a remnant that goes back into the land. So, a believer right now will get raptured and not go. Th- you know, I mean, well, they might experience this disaster. We don't know. Depending what you know, it's a photo finish. We could be raptured. At, this could happen afterwards, or this could happen, and we could be raptured afterwards. Uh, I have taught with Hormoz Shariat on the rapture, so they would understand this prophecy is interesting, but you want to know the prophecy about believing Christ and get raptured. So we've taught about that. So people who get raptured will not be part of this captives that are brought back to Elam, this remnant of Iranians. So just try to be clear on that. So our emphasis right now when we reach out to these Iranians is believe now. You know? just Iranians, all of us, right? So the good news is for Iran is there'll be a remnant. But there's also good news for Israelis. There's also good news for Egyptians. There's also good news for Assyrians. They will all have a remnant. It says in Isaiah 19 verses 24 and 25, in that day dealing with the messianic kingdom, Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. So look what he's calling them. He's calling Egypt, my people. Remember, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. (laughs) But believing in Christ the Egyptians who do at the end of the tribulation, he's actually gonna call them his people. Assyria will be the work of his hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Now, I have a video I wanted to show which talks about a very interesting story. I hope we can do it. Uh, we'll give it a try. It's called Padina's story. And uh, it's t- it shows you how active the Lord is in Iran. We're dealing with a spiritual showdown right now. Can we try it and see if the sound works on the second video? Dim the lights and see. If not, I'll have to Hopelessness and despair.
2: These are the words that Please best describe up. the current situation in Iran. As a result, Iran has one of the highest suicide rates in the world. My name is Hormoz Shariat and I'm the president of Iran Alive Ministries. What you're about to see is an actual story that happened here during a broadcast at Iran Alive. This is a story of a life transformed by the power of the gospel. Watch this, and I will see you after the video.
3: ما مثلا از سن 4 پنج سالگی شروع کردم نماز و یاد گرفتن و مثلا قبل از اینکه وارد مدرسه بشم سوره های قران رو حفظ می‌کردم دین هستن اینا خیلی ترسشون باعث ما رو می‌کردن و اگرم یه همچین چیزی نمی‌شدن خوشحال می‌شدن ولی همیشه به ما می‌گفتن حتی اگر یه مسیحی رو بکشیم وارد بهشت نشه و برای همین بیشتر تلاش میکردم که قانونای مذهب رو دقیق انجام بدم فکر میکرم بوزو اشتباه گرفتم دوباره هی میرفتم وزو میگرفتم شاید این مثلا برای یه نماز ده بار تکرار میشد که من میرفتم وزو میگرفتم و بر میگشتم و مریضی روحی هم که گرفتم ابسورده وحشتناکم بودم احساس کردم که هیچ وقت به خدا نرسیدم و مامانم تو حالت مرگ بود خیلی هم بابسته بودم به مامانم و گفتم که مرگ کدم رو میکشم اگر اجازه ندید کنی این کار بکنم بیرون از کوله پدکشی مانی تو تو آینده داری مامان و گفتم باشه اگر دوست داری با هم پدکشی کنی
2: And sisters, I'm with you tonight. The Lord has a special message for you tonight. If you're hopeless, if you're oppressed, if you're planning to commit suicide, the Lord says stop. He has a hope and a future for you. If
3: you're planning to kill yourself, stop and call me. وقتی که وردم توی اتوبتی دم مامانم دل دعای تو میکنه و خیلی اسفانی شدم.
0: به من نه
2: When I talked to her, she was cold, she was fighting and she told me very proudly I'm going to kill myself and your Jesus cannot do anything for me. After about an hour of argument with her, uh, I couldn't change her mind. You said it yourself, Allah has done nothing for you. Give Jesus just one chance, you can always kill yourself next week.
3: She was thinking,
2: okay, I pray and next week, this time, Jesus had not done anything for me. I call uh, live on the air and I tell everybody, look, I tried Jesus for a week and nothing has changed, and I'm gonna kill myself tonight and I
3: will do it on the air. <laughs> <laughs> حد اقلش اینه که وقتی به حضور خدا میرم میگم آخرین کارم هم برای تو انجام دادم فرد صبحش که از خواب بیدار شدم ساعت نیمه شب بود که از خواب بیدار شدم دیدم و دیدم که مامانم خیلی راحت داره تو خونه راه میره و دیگه اونطوری نیست که تعادل نداشته باشه یه دستشو جای بگیره گفتم ما باید ساری بریم بیمارستان و وقتی که جوابو ساری گرفتیم دکتر گفتش که فقط میتونم بگم یه معجزه شده چون هیچ اثری از بیماری M S نیست
2: خب چجوری میشه شما خودتون گفتین که می است و به امام شما است
1: به هیچ امامی دعا نکردیم، به احسان محسی دعا کردیم. you
0: can end the video now it goes on a little bit more so Jesus can do nothing for me she said and then he said just give him one chance and he proved to her that he's in the miracle business he is still in the miracle business dreams visions healings personal encounters this is what they're experiencing over there in Iran God wants none to perish. So, you know, uh, Padina married Mansoor, the pastor I was telling you about. Now, how that happened was Padina came over here to America. She worked for Hormoz Shariat for a while as a disciple. And after a little while, I guess it was for maybe a year, so I don't know the exact time, she came to Hormoz and said, Hormoz, I really need to go back to Iran. And he said, Padina, you are doing so much good work here for the kingdom, and you could be persecuted and killed in Iran. And he said, she said, I, I don't care. That's where Jesus is. Jesus is not here in America. So just the thought. Of, that's, that's, like I said, that is a very active faith in Iran right now. Now, Mansour and her, and that's not their real names. I, Mansour I saw about a year ago, and he showed me a video of, Padina's mom, who was desperately ill, she was about to die. I mean, they didn't know how much longer. Now she's she's. The video showed her dancing with Padina and her sister at her sister's birthday party. Uh, I mean, so she's still healed. These are not temporary healings. This is still going going on. But they decided Padina and Mansour not to have children because of the concerns that could happen for them, being such high-profile people in Iran right now. And uh, so. A real commitment that these folks have shared over there, and this is what's going on. These are your brothers and sisters across the globe that understand what true faith is. And if you need a miracle, like Badina's mother, that you know where to go. Jesus is still in the miracle business. And if you haven't made a decision for Christ, He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to give you an abundant life now, and He wants to give you eternal security forever. And you confess with your lips that he's the Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and he becomes your Lord. And you turn and he he indwells you. He sends his Holy Spirit to indwell in you. That's the process. It's a gift of God through faith. It's God's grace. Not of works, lest we should boast. So if you haven't made that decision yet, you in this room, or you live streaming or watch this on YouTube, uh, I encourage you now to make this decision because we are talking about one prophecy, right now that could happen at the present time, and there are many more that could follow, Uh, dealing with Middle East things and even in America.